So uh, now I introduced Randy earlier in Sunday school. I'm probably going to introduce him much the same way because it was fun. Uh, <laughs> many of us, how many of you have, have known Randy for 10 years or more? Okay, 20 years or more? 30 years or more? Okay, we got Debbie in the back and me in the front. <laughs> uh, and uh, Randy has been a part of this church uh, since, was it 84 when you first, before that. So this church was established in 81, and you came to, really shortly after that, and then you went off on the mission field. Or did you go off to school in 84? Okay. In 84. So, and we've been supporting him as a church since that time, and we all remember that, right? <laughs> uh, and uh, I've known Randy for a long time. I, I shared about how uh, when Margot corrected the spelling because Hoffman has two ends instead of one, I said, "Is it up? Is it?" Oh. <laughs> no, no, did not do that on purpose. In fact, it's putting one N is like putting one F. So it's a. <laughs> it is right. Oh, that's funny. I. I don't know. We'll, we'll talk to the secretary about that. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, and, and, and Margot corrected my spelling, and I said, well, I've known him longer than you have. <laughs> and I, I'm wearing my, my Hoffman Memorial tie or honorary tie. We bought this in Vancouver when we went to their wedding, and I realized I didn't have a tie. And, and so I, I break it out once a year uh, or once a visit because it's been a couple of years now, uh, when they come, come, I'm going to be wearing this tie. I always do. And that's pretty much the only time I wear this tie, because it's really not my favorite tie. But, <laughs> but anyway, so we've known and supported both Randy and Margo uh, for all their married life, Randy for pretty much all his adult life. Uh, we, we have supported him when he was in Afghanistan and Pakistan. You were in North Africa for a while, right? Visited there uh, when he was in the Philippines, uh, when he moved to the wilds of Vancouver, Canada. Uh, and, but his ministry has been to Muslims and Muslim back, background people. Now, I, I need to ask Randy, do we need to turn off streaming for this? Okay. So, uh, didn't want to, I realized that we should have talked about that sooner. But, but I would like to invite you to come on up. Uh, I don't know if both of you are coming up or just one of you. Randy is Mike. Margo, I'm going to hand you this one. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, so as you heard Pastor Steve said, you guys have been behind Randy and behind us for a very, very long time. It's very appropriate that we're here at Thanksgiving. Whenever we come to visit, it's Thanksgiving. And we really give thanks for you guys. And it's not just, it is financial support, but it's not just that. It's, a, it's care and love that we feel and we haven't been here for three years, and so it's been aw it's awesome just to be, is this even on? Okay. And it's awesome just to be back, back with you again and uh, to see you all. And I'm sorry, I'm really bad with names, but I remember a few of you, the names. I remember more faces, but thank you again for your love and your support. We really, really appreciate you guys. Yeah. What time do we finish us? Finish? Like, when do you, okay, okay. So, um, as Pastor Steve mentioned, that we uh, work with Muslims full-time, and um, those who come to Christ from a Muslim background, 
And we live in Vancouver, B.C. We always thought the Lord would take us back overseas, but he kept us there uh, for a purpose. And we've seen that in many different ways. And God has been bringing people to, to us and to Vancouver and to Spokane and everywhere else, probably here as well. And I think of the scripture in Philippians, no, not Philippians, Acts 17, 26. It says, from one man, God made the, all the nations and to inhabit the earth. And God determined the times and the places where people should live. Do you know that? He determined you'd be alive now, here. Why? What, do, what does the rest of the verse say? So that, no cheating, Steve. So that they may seek him. God moves people, brings people, places people in places so that they would be able to seek him. And this is what's happening with refugees. And this is our, what, what we do is a lot of work is with refugees. So um, he's bringing them to the Vancouver area. And I just want to tell the kids that I love reading the Bible. I love God. And um, I can't wait to get to heaven to see Jesus. So check your bullet. They're gone. Oh, man. Okay, adults. It says during the sermon. They were supposed to check these. Okay. That was just for them. But it's true. It's true. So I'm going to let Randy go, and then I'll jump up once in a while. It says green light, so it's working, I'm assuming. Well, we're supposed to give uh, primarily a report. So I'm going to do that. I'm just going to spend a few minutes looking at Psalm 107. I'm going to read through that and make a few comments just to give us some context about what we're going to share and, and hopefully some stories. <clears throat> and to kind of let you know what's happening with us now and over these last uh, few years since we haven't been here. Well, as was mentioned earlier, this was the, the first church I ever became a member of. It's my home church. I became a Christian when I was in university. A year later, I was in Bible college, went up to Canada for that. <clears throat> and in the summers, I'd come down here, my father... And stepmother lived here, so I would come here, and then I was looking for a church to go to. And there was this small group of people that were meeting in, um, was that where the bus stopped? Senior Center. Senior Center. And we were meeting in there. And I started coming to that church, and then that became my home church. And I became a member of that church. And unless Steve or somebody else has written, crossed me out, I think I'm still a member here at this church. <laughs> So that helps you to understand this is the first church as a Christian that I've ever became a member of and that sent me out, 1984. Since 1984 till now, I've been serving in missions. And God's leading in my life, since I was in Bible college, He directed me. First, I surrendered my life to God and for missions, and it's calling to be in missions, and He gave me a great burden for that. And then He directed me to the Muslim world. So I've been to different places where God led me to for certain reasons, India and Pakistan. 
where I was working with Afghan refugees. And there, you know, in 1976, the, Russia invaded Afghanistan, became communist government. Lots, millions of, ref, of Afghans left the country. They went over to Pakistan and India, some went north, over, others over to Iran. And that was an awesome opportunity for Christians to come and minister to them holistically, which means we met their felt needs. We provided um, foodstuffs and tents and blankets and all kinds of things and all kinds of services. And one of the terrible things that's, one service that these ladies did, she spent half of her time every week helping women who'd had their legs blown off from landmines getting fitted with a prosthetic limb. Wow, this is really a sad thing to do. And soap and food, and, and then there was a, a doctor who was part of our group, and, and we were all there loving and helping these people and sharing with them quietly about Jesus. Because Pakistan is a country that's 97% Muslim, and Afghanistan is 99-point-something Muslim. And just so you know, you think like, wow, the U.S. and other allies, groups, were in Afghanistan for 20 years. You all remember that, right? Then they left, and that was not well done. They left, and you thought, oh, what a waste. 20 years in that country, and now it's back a mess than it was before. But in those 20 years, more Afghans came to faith in Jesus Christ than ever before in its history for the last thousand years. And one of the things that's happening for us right now in the last weeks, plane loads of Afghan refugees that have been in this detention center, 12,000 of them crammed together in this detention center in Abu Dhabi, where it's been up to 40, 45 degrees, no air conditioning, hardly any food, horrible conditions. Finally, Canada's opened up its door and taking plane loads, hundreds and hundreds of these Afghan refugees in just our area, in the Vancouver to Abbotsford area, out of those hundreds of refugees that have come into our area, plane loads, 40 families of believers amongst them. And there's now a group meeting at a church. So about 20 of those families were in the Abbotsford area, and around 30 to 40 people, which isn't, wouldn't be all of those families, are being together in one church. And wow, talk about an instant church plant. Well, that took two weeks. Yeah, that sounded like the book of Acts. <laughs> and, so, and so that's a miracle. So there I was working with Afghan refugees, plus in the north in the Himalayas and in Pakistan. I also worked with Hindus for a while, but mostly Muslims. And then after five and a half years, it's like God said, okay, your, your time there is over. I said, oh, what am I going to do now? <clears throat> and then he began leading me to go to the Philippines. And why would I go to the Philippines? That's not a Muslim country. Well, five million Muslims speaking 14 different languages are in that country. They're part of the Malay world, Malaysia, Indonesia, Philippines. And I was shocked. said, I was going to prove God wrong. Lord, no, I shouldn't go there. I'm going to prove you wrong. I did research. And I was shocked to discover that out of Two to 3,000 missionaries and millions of born-again Christians in the country, less than 30 people were even trying to reach out to these Muslims. And there wasn't even one house church planted yet. So I went there with this burden to help train and mobilize and reach out to the Muslims of the Philippines. 
I threw myself into that for three and a half years. We trained about 80 people. Many of them were um, uh, Filipinos, but also some from Korea and Hong Kong and a few Westerners that somehow made it in. And, uh, and we saw you know, several dozen Muslims make a profession of faith in Christ. We printed literature, we did training programs, we did outreach, we got people going. It's like boot camp, you know, training and then evangelism. And we showed the Jesus film in the open air. And like in India and in Pakistan, in the Philippines, sometimes we got run out of the Muslim community because we'd show it at nighttime in the open air right on the side of a building in the Muslim community. I said, hey, this is not a majority Muslim country. You know, we can do that. And we got run out sometimes of certain communities. Just like in Indian Pakistan, our literature torn up, run out of certain communities. We'd be sharing the gospel and preaching in the open air. So I did a lot of evangelism. I did the work of an evangelist. But that is not my primary calling and gifting. But God used that in my life to train me and give me that heart. Like it says to, um, it was, God said to Philemon, continue to do evangelism. So he, he told him to do that, even though he's probably like pastoring a house church. And so I was doing that, and then God, we were going to, Margo and I got married. She had been in um, Israel and South America, different places, and she was also working with the mission agency that worked with Muslims, and we got married. We we're going to go back overseas. We're in our 30s, both of us serve, single, serving the Lord for all these years. We were going to go back overseas into missions, and then God stopped us. No, I want you to stay in Canada. And again, it's like, God, what am I going to do here? This is like, there's so many... Churches and Christians here. What should I do? What, why should I be over here? You know, and I kind of felt depressed. And over that, for some months, you know, I just like figuring out, oh, God, trying to listen to God. And, and God used that, Randy. Your significance isn't in what you do. It's who you are as a Christian in Christ. Oh, going deeper in my walk with God, my strength and security and everything else is in the Lord, and oh yeah, duh, I should know that, <clears throat> but I need to experience it. And then I started, we started getting more and more of a vision for Canada, and we continued to recruit people to send overseas, make trips overseas. We've been lots of trips overseas. <clears throat> we went into South America doing recruiting and sharing vision for reaching Muslims, recruiting Latinos. And we made trips overseas to visit people on the field in Uzbekistan and Egypt and, and um, Israel. Been to Turkey six times, taking teams there, short-term teams, training. And so, wow, you see there's kind of a, this thing here, this theme about, wow, training, raising up more workers, teaching, preaching the word of God, exhorting people. And in the Philippines, I did that. I'd go around to churches and Bible colleges and everywhere and you know, hammer that theme, you know, reaching the Muslims, reach the Muslims, reach the Muslims. So now we come to this place. So I've given you this overview to catch you up in, in broad strokes of where we are, what we're doing right now. And in Canada, we actually started a national um, uh, network across Canada, including many different denominations and churches with this goal. It's not, not complex. We're going to reach all the Muslims in Canada, which, by the way, the Muslim population in Canada was doubling every decade. Mosques were springing up. Typically, they'd start in like a meeting in a house, and then they, you know, rent or buy some little building and reconstruct it. And finally, some of them would actually build actual mosques from the ground up, and that was going all across Canada. And a certain portion of the Muslim population of Canada was there. Hey, 
we're going to reach Canada for Islam. Just like they're doing in the States. At 9-11, at ground zero, well, there, I heard, I don't know if it's still there or not, some Muslim structure or whatever near to ground zero at 9-11 where the Twin Towers came down. I thought, huh, that's kind of bold of them to do that. And so the enemy could use everything he can to offend us, to annoy us, to intimidate us, to stop us from reaching Muslims with the gospel. And ever since Islam began 1,400 years ago, the church has not done well reaching the Muslim world until the last 50 years, and particularly the last 20 years. That is the shocking thing. So in Canada, with this national network, our goal was that we would get, try to get all the different churches or denominations to reach all the Muslims in all of Canada. That was a simple job. That's all we were going to do. And so we started recruiting and, and having national conferences and starting you know, these networking teams and then, was it 13 or 18 teams across Canada? And every place we knew where the Muslims were, and we're starting to understand what the composition of all the Muslim peoples were in different places, and making sure we got literature and gospel and Jesus film DVDs and helping people to reach out to them and trying to mobilize the church and equipping them so we could reach all these Muslims. And then, after doing that for 10 years, God said, well, that's enough of that. And I was like, oh, Lord, now what am I going to do? <clears throat> and... Then he began, and so then he'd put a, he'd been putting a burden on my heart to do more studies. Kind of like pushing me, leading me to do that. Oh, more studies, oh yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, so I had to upgrade to start my doctoral studies. I had to upgrade my master's degree from a two-year to a three-year degree, which means I, one by one I'd taken some more courses as we're doing ministry. And then I got COVID. And I was in the hospital for 44 days in a coma for three and a half weeks. And that was... I didn't feel anything at that time. I just kind of, you know, just, just me and the Lord communicating. But after that, the recovery, yeah, that was a little bit. That was a little bit tough. So we're recovering from that, you know, learning, you know, the first, after I woke up from the, they got me out of the coma, you know, I couldn't even really sit up in bed. So that was, like, and then to try and sit up and then to try and stand up with the walker. And the first week at home, I was in a wheelchair for a first week, and then using walker. And after a few weeks at home and shuffling back and forth slowly with the walker, and then was able to start, oh, I can go down and up the stairs. So I started to do that a bit, and slowly, slowly recovering. And I'm not 100%, but you know, I talked to God about that, and the Lord said, Randy, I've given you enough strength and energy for what I want you to do. I said, okay, Lord. Depending upon God, making every decision based upon the will of God, praying about everything. How much should we give to this, Lord? Who should we give to? Lord, we want to give more. Our time is short. How much longer do you have here on earth? How much longer do I have? All of it is for living for Jesus. It's the only thing that matters. It's the only thing that counts. Living for Jesus. So now Margo and I, our lives dedicated to God. Lord, the one prayer request that we have is that we go on the same day. We just go together. <laughs> I'd really be thankful, God, if that happened. But, you know, whatever it is, whatever, how much time we have left, we live it all for Jesus. Not what other people think about us, what the world thinks, or their intimidation, or, you know, trying to shame us, or anything else, but 
courageously, boldly, in the love of God, we go forward to proclaim the truth. There is a living relationship with the Lord Jesus. He's not just a way to God or the best way to God. He is the only way to God. For Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, and everybody in the world, even if you're a Democrat or a Republican, they all need Jesus. <clears throat> even that one crazy Republican. <laughs> well, some people like him, some people don't. We're not going to talk about that. The, my point is... <laughs> <laughs> Psalm 107, Psalm 107. Okay, this is going to be about like five minutes, I hope. <clears throat> so he gives us introduction, verses 1, 2, and 3. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say this, those who are redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands. So Psalm 107 starts the fifth book of Psalms. There's, Psalms is in five books, five collections put together. And it used to be that people thought that the psalms were kind of just randomly put together. And over time, and deeper and more thorough studies, continuing to study this, no, each one is in a specific situ place in the five books, in its place, in smaller collections, within those, placed strategically, purposely, in a particular order with God's reason behind why he did that. And the five books realizing finally, not myself, but others who I'm reading about in their study, is that, wow, those five books go through the spiritual history. So you have Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles that look through the, the history of the kingdom of Israel, starting well back in Joshua and Judges, and the Psalms are the spiritual history of the people of God. And in book four is when they're in exile. And book five is when they come back from exile. And Psalm 107 is the first one talking about them coming back from exile. So now with that background, we read, there's five little scenarios in Psalm 107. Verse four, some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfilling love, his wonderful deeds for men, for he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. I'm reading this a little bit quickly because our time is short. <clears throat> but the point is, my wife's telling me to slow down. And the, the, the point is, is that God put them into a situation where, like, their life was falling apart. Like they were at the point of death. They cried out to the Lord, in each situation, we can see the same thing happening. Different scenarios, but the same pattern. Verse 10, some sat in darkest and deepest gloom, prisoners suffering in iron chains. Why? They had rebelled against the words of God, despised the counsel of the Most High. So he subjected them to bitter labor, and they stumbled. There was no one to help. Then what happened? Finally, they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness. And then what do they do? In verse 15, let them give thanks to the Lord. The next one, verse 17, the third, some became fools through their rebellious ways, and they have suffered affliction because of their iniquities. You know, all these situations are happening all over the world now. The extremes of our weather patterns is getting worse and worse and worse. Wow, second coming. Sounds like what Billy Graham said years ago, approaching hoofbeats. We're in the hoofbeats, just waiting. When is that 
you know, the tribulation period going to start. Man, it's like we almost like feeling like the breath of the horses on us now. Like the horses are running. They're out there. And that's taking place. <clears throat> the next one was, some became, oh, I said, said that in verse 23. Some went out in the ships. They were on the seas. They saw, then, for then he spoke, that is God spoke, stirred up a tempest and lifted high the waves, mounted up to the heavens and then down to the depths. Wow, terrible storm. In their peril, their courage melted away. Sounds like the situation with Jonah. They reeled and staggered like drunken men because a ship was going every which way. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. Then they were glad it grew calm. He guided them to a, a safe place, a desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord. So we see these patterns, and then there's another one that has actually dual um, things going you know, into riches, then poverty, and back into riches. And God's using that as a way to show people in every situation, you cannot trust in yourself. You cannot control your life situation. Whatever your faith is in, it's in myself, it's in my money, it's in my ability to manipulate the situation. You can't. You can't. God will show you that that faith is wrongly placed. God will show you that the only place you can find salvation. Now I'll read the last verse. <clears throat> the conclusion. Whoever is wise, let him heed these things and consider the great love of the Lord. Wow. This is a loving God? Oh, I thought God was good. Look at all the terrible things happening in this world. Why do you think God is doing that? Is God so hard hearted? He doesn't care about us. Oh, just suffer. Well, my wife also reminded me. <laughs> my, my best partner in everything in life. <clears throat> best friend, partner, and everything in my best. Yeah, go on and on. She told me, Randy, you need to tell that story. So this is a story. It's, it's kind of uh, made up in some ways. But there's, a, there's a, a, a park. Beautiful, sunny day. The green grass was cut. Lots of families were there having picnics. And the kids running around having fun. Well, over on the side, there is this like hedge. Tall grass and these bushes. They're like, you know, knee to waist high along this edge. And what pe people didn't realize, all those there in the park didn't realize is just beyond that hedge, there was this cliff that went down, a huge drop, this, this cliff. So they are there enjoying the sunshine, enjoying the park and having fun and eating their meals. And then Margaret and I are there. And let's see, Tristan, and he's not listening. And he's running around having fun, and then he's running towards that hedge. And I told him, Tristan, don't go to that hedge. Don't go over there. And he's running towards that hedge. And I tell him, stop, Tristan, stop, stop, Tristan. And he's not listening. Now, none, none of you have ever experienced that with your kids. <laughs> he's not listening, and I'm yelling at him, stop, Tristan, stop. And he's not stopping. So finally, I just, I'm chasing him. But I'm not going to get to him in time before he goes right up to that, he that, that little hedge. So, if, so in desperation, I'm running, I reach down, I grab a big rock, and I throw it as hard as I can, hit him smack in the back of the head, knocks him down. And he slides to a stop two to three feet before that hedge. And I go running up to him, go running up to him, and hold in my arms, Tristan, Tristan, you hit me! 
and his head swollen and bleeding, and it hurts terribly. And all the other families say, what a terrible father. So what do you think God would do to stop people, to try and get their attention, to stop them from going to hell? What would it take whose hearts are hardened? They're rejecting him, they're rejecting him, they're rejecting him. Well, I'm going to bring worse and worse situations upon your life so you can realize your, your, what you're trusting in it will not save you. It will not help you. I can remove that. I can take that out of the way. And there's places in Scripture that talk about how God's heart is broken and hurting because of the suffering He's having to cause in the life of people, but with the hope for effective impact that they will turn to the Lord Jesus and receive Christ. And what's our job? What's our job? For all the Muslim world, for the people around Davenport and this whole community, what's our job? The same as the apostles, you go out to the 5,000, the 4,000, you give them the bread of life. You offer them the bread of life. You love them, you make friends with them, you help them with their problems, and you offer them the bread of life. Some people say, well, I share the gospel without saying anything. You know, I show up by my actions in my life. That's good, we should be doing that. But all through the gospels and through the book of Acts, they verbally proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ as well. You share your testimony. We read through all the different things in the book of Acts. There's times Paul shared his testimony or Peter and he preached and they would share the gospel and they explain it to them. Philip to the Ethiopian eunuch, this way different culture, came up from East Africa, had come up there, completely different culture, and from Isaiah 53, he started from there and he shared the gospel. So God is bringing Muslims to Christ as never before. And you've heard about the Masa Amini, that girl who died in Iran, and the protests that are going on. And in 1979, <clears throat> the Ayatollah Ruhla Khomeini came into Iran and sh imposed Sharia law. Well, a hundred years before that, this is the back, you know, the, the back side of this story, is missionaries had been going into Iran in the modern era of missions, you know, there had been missionaries long ago, starting with the apostles and then, and then others. <clears throat> but in the modern era of missions, for a hundred years missionaries have been going into Iran, proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. And after a hundred years, by 1979, maybe 3,000 believers from Muslim background. And over a hundred years, with a population of millions and tens of millions, how many had gone to hell? Do you think God likes that? who says, God does not want anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. We offer them salvation. We don't force them. God doesn't force them. But he'll put pressure on their lives and show how their false faith is useless. So over that hundred years, they didn't listen. They didn't listen. They didn't listen. Finally, God throws the rock. If you can't learn the easy way, sadly and unfortunately, you have to learn the hard way. And hopefully... You will respond. God doesn't force us, but he, he does everything he can to bring us, putting pressure in our lives so that we will come to faith in Jesus. And since 1979 till now, there's been an increasing number of Iranian Muslims who've come to faith in Jesus. The first 10 years, from like 1979, 1980, up till 1990, they thought, the thing that's wrong with our country is Western culture is here. And so they painted the U.S. flag on the ground, they drove over it, they spit on it, and they did everything they can to 
remove every trace of any type of Western influence, whether it was US or Europe or whatever, any type of Western influence from our country. We are becoming absorbed, permeated every part of our culture with Islam and following the Shariat law, which is just rules based upon the teachings of the Quran. Well, the next decade, because the country just went downhill and everything went bad, and they had a war with Iraq, which is Muslim, by the way, and then from 1990 to the year 2000, oh, it's our government leaders. They're the problem. And so <clears throat> they thought, okay, let's get that out of the way. She's telling me my time's up. <laughs> from the year 2000, after that, finally they came and said, Islam is a problem. And there's probably over a million Iranian Muslims that have come to faith in Jesus in the last 20 years. And it's increasing. And they're coming all over the world. And they're in Vancouver. Over 100,000 Iranians are in Vancouver. And there's Iranian churches there. So Margo and I find ourselves in the place where all of our time is focused on discipleship and counseling. They come with such broken hearts and broken lives. They have been so abused and hurt from Islam, from Shariat law, and that has infected their families and their marriages and their child rearing. Everything is horrible. So Margo's going to share with you just a few stories of some of the things that we're doing now. Thanks, honey. Thank you, sweetheart. So, um, you know, a lot of people are coming to our shores. It's not their choice. They, would, they love their country. They'd love to be in their country, but it becomes impossible to stay in their country. And for Christians, they, they're getting persecuted. They're being imprisoned. They're being tortured. They're being killed and arrested again and again and again. And then they realize, you know, we need to leave. So Christians have had to leave. There's still many Christians there secretly meeting in Iran, specifically. Um, and, but many others, because of the economy and the government and the Islam and the control and the problems, you know, they're like forcing the people out of Iran, yet, yet they have to sneak out. They have to escape. They have to hire smugglers sometimes. And, you know, it's, it's not what they want to do. They would love to be in their own country, enjoy their country, be with their extended family. But, but one by one, they're escaping. And so then they come to Canada, and it's, they're lost, or they end up in Europe or Turkey or somewhere else. It takes them a long time to get refugee status. And then they um, have to start a whole new life. So we meet many, many people like this where we live. And you have heard of the House of Omid, and Ahmad, he, he's part of our team, and he started this House of Omid. And they specifically are there to reach out to these newcomers. And during COVID, you know, COVID came, and instead of closing down the doors, the opportunities for ministry just increased because people couldn't go out to buy food. People didn't have vehicles or they didn't have money. And so they started delivering food baskets to the doors and with some, some gospel in there. And everything that the House of Omi does is sharing the gospel. Now they have a food pantry where they serve over 1,000 people a week. And there's also Afghans that are coming. So it's more for Farsi speakers, and Afghans can understand the Farsi language. Many of them can. And so they're all refugees. The ones working at the House of Wamid, some are volunteering, some are raising support, working at the House of Wamid, 
They've all been refugees. They've all been lonely in another country, wondering if anybody cared. And here they are, and the people come to them, and it's like, wow, the first time they meet somebody who cares. And they're able to share the gospel, and they pray for them. And Iranians are much more open than Afghans are, but we see the Afghans opening too, because it's, it's so hard to start a new life when you don't know anything. And you could have been a high professional in your country, in Iran, many, most of them are highly educated, and they're ending up being security guard at night or pumping gas or doing something, you know, that would be way beneath them and their education, but that's what they have to do. So it's hard for them to get ahead because of language and because of finances. So the House of Omid serves many people, helping them with paperwork and with ESL classes and you know, applying for jobs or finding jobs or doing a food safe course so they could work in the back of a restaurant someday or different things like that. So there are a lot of services through the House of Omid. Um, also, they have a new property now, so a lot of, we have some volunteer work teams from different churches have come to help them in January 1st, they wanna open that up and it be a permanent location. So instead of paying rent, which is unattainable right now in the Vancouver area, It'll be going towards mortgage, and then this place have for many, many, many years to come. So uh, the ministry is going strong. Please keep praying for the ministry and for God to provide, and they do need more staff as well. And, um, yeah, like that. So some of the other things we do, we do a lot of hospitality. We have a large home, a lot of hospitality. A lot of people have lived in our home. We're still in relationship with them. They still come over. Many of them have keys. They just walk in all the time or doors open. If someone rings the doorbell, we know it's a stranger or someone who, someone who doesn't know better. Just come in, you know. So we're training people to do that. And uh, <clears throat> so during, through hospitality and through those that live in our home, we're able to model what does it mean to have a Christian marriage? What does it mean to, you know, have be a Christian parent? What does it mean um, to go through suffering, like the COVID situation, or, or different things like that? So they watch us, and they've never seen, because they were never in a Christian family. They were, never saw Christian parents. They never saw Christian marriage, you know, lived in that context. So for them to live with us, or to be a lot at our, in our home, they've seen that. Like, that's we need to model it. And even when we blow it, they see that we apologize. In Iranian culture, the older people should never have to apologize to younger people. So they can be as nasty as they want, and the young one, oh, yeah, it's fine, just forget it and pretend like it never happened, instead of really doing, you know. There are many issues for people that come from a Muslim background. Islam is so distorted, it has distorted every aspect of life. And so, it takes a lot for discipleship, and Randy and I have, um, that's, Randy's doing this doctorate of ministry studies, is that right? Yeah, demon, studies for, um, on specifically on discipleship and discipling Muslims who come to Christ, and what does it mean? It, there's a whole different set of challenges or things that you really have to you know, when you come from a Christian country, it's, it's different. Christian country, you know what I mean. But a Muslim country, it's really different. And the values and, and the way uh, that Satan has affected their lives through Islam. So there 
our increasing burden is for that discipleship. Uh, and we have less energy, and we want to spend more energy um, with people. And so we're doing Bible studies with individuals. People don't trust each other either, so sometimes it's hard to bring them together. And so there's a lot of mistrust, and that's, again, part of Islam, a lot of distrust. So, yeah, we have our... Um, we could be a lot busier, and we continue to use our home for the Lord and our lives and trusting him until he takes us home. Like that. So I think that's about it. I mean, there's a lot more we could share, but it's time. Well, I don't know. Do you want me to pray? Okay. Father God, I thank you that um, you sent your son to die for the whole world because it's not your will that any should perish and you have provided a way of salvation. Oh God, may we all proclaim this way of salvation. May we not be, um, not shrink back, Lord, not be like those who shrink back from sharing the hope that we have, from sharing the gospel, whether it's coworkers or fellow students or other people that we know in this town and, and, and even outside of this town. Father, just pray that you would um, help us to be bold, bold in you to share, Father, and help us to reach out to newcomers, Lord, that may feel very lost and would love to have an American friend, Lord, that long for that, but sometimes there's this fear on both sides, and that's Satan's, Satan's idea to keep them from connecting, especially with a Christian. So, Lord, help us to step outside of our, our comfort zone. Help us to be hospitable with strangers. Help us to reach out to strangers, Lord. And um, may we see a great, greater harvest coming, Lord, a greater harvest. And in the Muslim world, we just thank you, God, for how you're using the many, many difficult things. And, Lord, it's not fair. It's not fair, not just that they're suffering and we're sitting here. But it's not fair that we're just sitting here and that we're so blessed. That's what I think. But, Lord, you've done that for a purpose. You've blessed us for a purpose, and that's to be a blessing. Help us to seek you to see how can we be a blessing, Lord, with our time, our efforts, our, our finances, our homes, whatever it is, Lord. Help us to, to be a greater and greater blessing and make a greater and greater impact and it's seeing your, your gospel, your kingdom advance, Lord, in our lifetimes, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.